Good afternoon. We're back with another episode of the Sean Mo Hoops podcast, and it's been a while, but proud to have a, a, a esteemed guest in Kyle Hines, one of the most uh, decorated Americans to ever play overseas with four EuroLeague championships. And, uh, and I could go on forever about the number number of awards, but currently Kyle is in Milan, Italy. Um, just got over there, uh, getting ready for another season in the, in the EuroLeague. But Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much for for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this uh this great great talk, great conversation. Yeah. So so you're you're in Italy, and mm-hmm. you know you you just signed with a new team, which which I want to get to. But you know, with everything going on with with COVID nineteen, you know, you've kind of seen it from a few different lenses. One from you know being in, in Moscow when it really first started up, and and now going over there, and I think you said you're in, in quarantine for. 14 days or uh, whatever the time limit is. So mm-hmm. how, how's the situation in, in Italy and, and how's it been for you just as, as a professional? Um, I mean, these are, you know, interesting times. And I think these are new, you know, new territory for everybody, new charter territory for everybody. So, um, you know, generally I'm just, you know, trying to take it day by day, um, you know, because really we, nobody really knows if anybody can tell you, you know, you know or predict what's going to happen. Um, you know, even next week, you know, they're, you know, probably lying to you. So that's kind of the way I've been looking at it. Um, you know, I just got to Italy recently, um, last week and, um, because of the, everything, the, the government, um, protocols, we have to, uh, quarantine all the Americans, um, have to quarantine for 14 days. So I'm right in the first half of that. I think I've been here seven days, um, quarantining. Um, but I mean, so far I haven't really got an opportunity to see a whole lot, you know, besides the airport and the drive to the airport and, and, and here. But um, things, you know, people, everybody's here is wearing masks. Um, you know, people are, it seems like they're, you know, trying to socially distance. And, um, you know, this region was, you know, one of the hardest hit regions, you know, in the whole entire world. Um, so I can kind of see how, you know, people are, are you, know, um, you know, this and trying to, you know, do their best, um, you know, to, uh, you know, help fight um, the fight against this virus. But I think overall, um, you know, for me, um, it's been a different, you know, different experience, different type of experience. I mean, there's been, you know, positives, you know, it's been allowed me to spend more time with my family, spend more time with my kids, you know, and this, and this lifestyle, you know, I'm on the road so much, I'm traveling so much that I don't get this quality time with my family and my kids. So it allowed us to kind of, you know, build, you know, and spend that general time. But then it was also weird too, just not having the one thing that I've pretty much depended on my whole life. And that was basketball, you know, be able to go to a gym or be able to do certain things, having that taken away from me, you know, it's kind of been, you know, a lot different. Um, so from that standpoint, like, you know, it's kind of been, you know, two, you know, two different spectrums. It's been great because I can spend with my family, but it's also been a little bit weird because, you know, I haven't been able to, you know, to play basketball or been involved in basketball since um, that March, that uh, March date when everything kind of stopped. Yeah, I mean, going going back to March, how, how was it in terms of when everything stopped? You know, I know in, in the U.S. it just you know it was really when with, with um, you know when Utah tested tested positive, um, and then everything you know college basketball NBA just stopped. But I know in Europe it it hit a lot earlier, and and a lot of different countries were doing different yeah. things. Um, so you know, how, how was just being there during that time? Um, I mean, I, I kind of seen it from a different lens because I'm, I'm um, a part of the leadership group and the, the EuroLeague Players Association. So, like you said, it was starting to hit different countries and different um, 
have impacts on different countries at different times. So, you know, we were, we were dealing with this probably, I would say, um, in Russia, you know, Russia has a border with China. So we were starting to kind of see, you know, different things and things starting to change um, or as early as like in January when we were mm-hmm. going to different places and, you know, there was different protocols and people were wearing masks and, you know, people were doing temperature checks as soon as we get off the plane. And then um, right around February, um, that's when Milan um, and Spain has started to get, um, you know, impacted pretty heavily. And then with the Players Association, we were trying to monitor it, you know, trying to do our best to try to make sure that the players were safe and the players were in the best position possible. So even beforehand, we kind of knew that um, that this was going to have a big effect. I didn't think it was going to have as a long effect. And did I right. think at the time the season was going to be canceled or even postponed? No, I just thought, you know, worst case scenario that we would just play without fans. You know, some mm-hmm. games would be arranged, uh, rearranged or, you know, or whatever. But uh, that it happened in Utah. I woke, we had a game that morning. Um, I woke up and I checked my phone and I had a bunch of text messages and a bunch of emails and a bunch of alerts how Rudy Gobert had tested positive and the NBA had stopped. Um, immediately, um, I got on the phone with, you know, our, uh, our players association reps. Um, and we kind of had knew that the, our league was going to be postponed around the same time. So I went to shoot around. I went to, you know, our morning routine as usual. And then our general manager walked in just as we were like starting to watch film. Um, saying that the game was going to be postponed and we didn't know for how long. So, like I said, I didn't expect it to be canceled um, for as this long. I don't think anybody did. Um, but, um, I mean, looking back on it, I mean, I, I guess it, it I mean, definitely was the right decision, um, you know, for, for I think everybody involved, especially here in Europe. Yeah, I know, you know, looking back on it gives you a different perspective. I'm sure at the time, you know, even as you guys are trying to figure it out from a basketball lens, you know, you're playing – one of the top teams in the world. So I know you're yeah. you're also focused on getting another EuroLeague title. Was it, you know, how difficult was it just to, you know, kind of at the time know that you wouldn't get that opportunity? Um, it was really difficult because that's right around the time where that's when the playoffs start. We were, we were in a, a playoff race, um, not really a playoff race, but a seeding race. We at the time, we were the fourth seed and we were fighting for seeding position. Um, and we were like maybe like a, I would say a couple of weeks or a couple of games away from starting the playoffs. So this is the most exciting part of the season. This is what you kind of been, you know, working towards the whole entire year. So and I, I think our team and, and me and generally just felt like we had just started to, you know, kind of scratch our potential, started reaching and started playing our best basketball at the time. So, you know, for that standpoint, it was difficult. And then also, you know, we were we were I mean, even though I'm on a different team, but we were the defending champions. Yeah. So, you know, to not have an opportunity to defend our title, um, you know, definitely was, you know, um, a little bit of kind of, you know, difficult. But I think the season is going to be filled with, especially in EuroLeague, because we didn't continue the season, we decided to cancel. It's going to be a season of what ifs. You know, there's going to be so many what ifs. You know, it's going to be so many, you know, teams or players going to be like, well, if this would have happened. You know, what if, what if we did this? What if we did that? So that's what I really think was kind of like, you know, the, the, the most, I guess, difficult and most strange scenario, everything, because we had to stop, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of, you know, what ifs, and there was no really conclusion to the season, I guess you can say. Yeah, and, and you had been uh, in Moscow, I think, 2013, so you, you had been there a while, um, and then, as we mentioned, you're in Milan. Seven years. Yeah, seven <laughs> years, so, yeah. you know, and, and especially overseas, where, where most, you know, positions are kind of one year, and, and you're moving moving each year, 
yeah. seven years. Um, so I definitely want to talk about your time there. But what you know, what made what helped you make the decision, or or why did you kind of tra- you know switch to Milan um, at this point? I know they've been very active signing a lot of uh, a mm-hmm. lot of players, but just curious about kind of the thought process and and how that went, how that happened. Um, I mean, I I had really in my mind. Um, I had never really had any intentions to leave Cheska. You know, I've been there for seven years. I was the captain of the team. You know, we were the defending champions. You know, my family and, and me, we had a great lifestyle, a great life there. So I never in my mind, you know, thought about leaving. You know, my, I had every intention to retire there. But I think one of the situations like this act with COVID, you know, just me being at home and just me being, you know, with my family and being around my family every day um, allowed me to kind of, you know, take a step back and really kind of look at the situation. And then when Milan, you know, came, you know, came into the pick to, you know, to, you know, to offer me a contract, um, I really had an opportunity to kind of look at it from a more of a broad point of view. And I've seen the benefits that I felt that I can not only offer me, but I offer my family, you know, my kids are getting a little bit older. So I wanted it for them to have a new experience. You know, I'm, I'm at the kind of latter part of my career. So I wanted them to, you know, be able to enjoy a different place, to be able to enjoy, you know, going to Italy, going to a different school, be able to travel, um, you know, throughout Europe. So that was kind of one of the main things. Um, and then also, um, I'm a person that is, I thrive off of challenges. That is kind of my main thing. Like I want a challenge. Um, and the whole scenario and the whole situation in Milan was a challenge. Milan, you know, hasn't been to the playoffs since I think 2013 in EuroLeague. And then after talking with Coach Messina, who is somebody that I'm familiar with and talking to the general manager, somebody I'm also familiar with and talking to Sergio Rodriguez, who was my former teammate, the things that they were trying to build there just got me excited, you know, got me excited about, you know, taking on a new challenge, you know, helping be a part of this group that can, you know, help bring um, Milan back to EuroLeague success. So I think those are kind of the two main reasons. And it just felt, you know, when I thought about it, um, literally, I, I probably made the decision over like one night. And when I thought about it, right move, sometimes in your gut, I guess, you know, it is you kind of feel you kind of feel like it was the right move. And that's what it was for me. It just kind of felt like it was the right situation in the right time. Okay. Yeah. And I know when, when you signed, I think they were in a flurry of, of other signings and it seemed like every day there was a new, yeah. a new announcement going <laughs> yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I kind of, I kind of started the process and after that it was just kind of like a domino effect and everybody else, um, you know, kind of joined on. So, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for this year. I'm excited for the names that we have. Um, you know, we look really good right now um, on paper, but, you know, we have to, you know, try to figure out a way to kind of build chemistry and kind of come together and try to, you know, build a culture, um, in this new team, in this new environment. Yeah, well, definitely, definitely kind of a fun and exciting, you know, challenge and opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to, and I know you started your career in Italy, which, which we'll get to, but I just want to go back yeah. to, to your days at UNC Greensboro. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, I think a lot of people don't realize the type of career you had. Um, oh, what, thank you. you know, just, just even before, you know, your career, what made you choose UNC Greensboro kind of coming out of the Philly area? Um, you know, what was your mm-hmm. thought? I know we're going back some time, but what was your thought process yeah. even in, in going down to Greensboro? Um, well, Greensboro is the only visit I took. I only took okay. one visit to that school, um, which kind of made my mom mad. My mom wanted to travel and she wanted to, you know, go to the different schools and see different parts of the country. But when I got down to Greensboro, um, 
when I, I always wanted to go to a school that move, you know, in the movies, you know, you go to a college and it has that community feel and you have like, I always wanted to go to like a college town. And when I got to Greensboro, that's what it felt like. It felt like a college town. It felt like a college environment there. Um, so that was, you know, one of the big reasons. Um, I always wanted to go to school in North Carolina. I was a big Chapel Hill fan, um, you know, and I was like, you know, obviously I wasn't getting recruited by Chapel Hill. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go with the, you know, try to be as close enough I possibly can. Um, a coach at the time, Fran McCaffrey, who is now the, the coach of uh, University of Iowa. Um, he was from the Philadelphia area. Um, he has a big presence in, in Philadelphia. You know, his, his brother, I think, is a, a sportscaster and he's a legendary figure there. So, you know, when I met him and obviously already knowing his name and knowing that, you know, everything he kind of uh, contributed to Philadelphia basketball, I just wanted the opportunity to play under him um, and, and, and to learn from him. So I think those are kind of like the three three biggest reasons why I went to Greensboro. Um, and I just wanted to get away. I wanted to get away from home. I only been yeah. in this Philadelphia Cyclical area my whole entire life. So I was like, you know, I want to want to try something new. And like I said, I'm a person that thrives off the challenges and the challenge of going to a small mid-major school um, excited me. So that's why. So how, how was it playing for Fran? I mean, I know, you, you know, everybody sees him on, on the sidelines at mm-hmm. Iowa and, and obviously a very intense uh, individual, um, you know, but it but also seems like he puts everything into his players uh so you know how yeah. was it how was it just playing playing under him i mean he he's it was amazing i mean he's intense um you know on the court because he cares so much about his players and i think that's the reason why he's been so successful like his players really because they see how much they he cares for them you know we have so many dinners over his house you know spending so much time you know at the time with his kids you know when i was around his kids they were you know babies now, like this weird seeing them, you know, on the team as almost, you know, grown individuals. But, you know, and then and then people say he's intense. You know, his wife is actually probably the more the more intense, you know, out of and out of out of both of them. But I mean, it was a joy. I mean, I learned so much, you know, at 17, when you're 17, you think, you know, everything you think, you know, everything about basketball. You think, you know, everything about life and just going down there, going uh, down south to UNC Greensboro and experiencing that first year with Coach McCaffrey. Like I understood that I knew any I didn't know anything about basketball, like my basketball IQ at the time was zero. So having an opportunity to spend that one year um, with them was was amazing. I mean, even, you know, even in that first year, you know, I'm sure you you definitely surpassed expectations because you came in and right off the bat, you know, averaging 13 plus points per game, rebounding, leading the league in block shots. You, you know, how, how was it just kind of coming in right off the bat and having that type of impact as a freshman? I mean, I was I was fortunate that um, that I was able to play right away. There was a position, there was positions that were open. So I was able to kind of, you know, get on the floor right away. Um, you know, we had a freshman Jeffrey gave, you know, to his credit, he gave all of us um, opportunities to play. Um, so I was able to, you know, I'm the type of player that I learn, you know, by playing. Um, and, and the more I played, usually the better I'm going to, you know, do the better I'm going to get. So um, I was able to go out and make mistakes and play. And we had a, a veteran, um, a little bit of a veteran team. Um, and I was able to kind of, you know, be the the complimentary piece, to, you know, to some of those guys. And, um, you know, I was able to have, you know, success. Um, I didn't think it would necessarily be, you know, so fast, but um, 
I was excited. I mean, I was excited, you know, to like, you know, to be, you know, freshman of the year and, you know, to have all those escalates, I mean, uh, accolades and, you know, to be part of like, I think it was like Dick Vitale's diaper dandy, you know, all those different things like that I've been reading about, you know, my whole entire life to be able to, you know, have my name mentioned with some of those. I mean, it was, was incredible, um, incredible experience. And, you know, from that, from there you went on, I mean, you were putting up crazy stats in terms of, you know, 20, I got them right up here, but basically 20 and 10 almost plus, you know, two, two and a half, three block shots a game. Mm-hmm. Do you think, I mean, I mean, college basketball has changed so much now that, you know, I've, and, and I'm curious how it was, you know, when you were there, but, you know, putting up those type of stats, um, do you think there would have been more pressure, you know, now to transfer or do a grad transfer to a bigger school? Um, and, and was that under consideration, even, you know, even when you were playing, given what you were doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I had thought about it because of uh, Coach McCaffrey had left um, after my freshman year. He ended up going to Siena. So, um, you know, I was thinking about whether or not to transfer. I was thinking about possibly transferring closer back home because um, at the time, you know, after I had such a, a tremendous, you know, um, freshman season and I was starting to get the, the open you know, the other opportunities. So I was thinking either to go, you know, to Siena with with him or going, you know, up um, you know, closer back home. Um, or I was thinking um to possibly go to Wake Forest. That was kind of what I might what I was really gonna go. Um at the time it was a uh, coach Skip Prosser um yeah. who who passed away. Um but that was uh that's what I was thinking about going to. But um honestly um you know what really kept me there was just my teammates. Um, you know, my teammates, you know, my, my, even to today, my, the, the two first, the two people that I, um, end up coming in with freshmen with, they're two of my best friends. Um, you know, they're both the, you know, the godfathers of my kids. So it was like, you know, having an opportunity to, you know, ultimately was the decision, you know, reason why I wanted to stay. I was like, I really stay here and enjoy playing basketball, enjoying this life. And I, I feel like I didn't have enough reasons to want to leave. Probably, um, you know, under these situations now, under the current climate, um, more like I probably probably would have transferred, um, you know, just to kind of have the opportunity to play at a bigger school. Because I think the the college climate is a little bit different a little bit now. Um, but um, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, who knows? But I, I'm, I'm happy with my decision. I'm happy with my decision that I stayed. Um, I was able to, you know, leave a mark at the university, you know, help lay kind of the, the foundation, the footprints for the success that they're having now. And like I said, I mean, some of my my best friends, my lifelong friends, um, my forever friends, you know, came from, you know, me being at that university. So I'm not, you know, I'm not complaining at all. Yeah, and I know in terms of how they've been doing the past few years with with Wes Miller uh, yeah. coaching them and, you know, usually one of the top mid-major teams, um, yeah. you know, pushed Gonzaga um, in the tournament, you know, a few years ago. And I've always been pushing for that conference to get more than one one bid in because there's usually two or three so. really strong yeah. strong teams and and I see you're always you know retweeting and you know kind of yeah. you know, very still very involved with the program. Definitely, definitely, I'm I'm really happy and proud of their success. A great job of um you know uh, making you know changing the culture of the of the um changing the culture of the of the program and making people excited to to be there and players excited to be there and like I said they're 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 becoming one of the powerhouses in in the, in the SoCon and also in mid-major college basketball. Yeah, definitely. And you know, when you were there there's another power in Davidson. Um, you know, yeah. how, <laughs> how was it playing, you know, going against Steph Curry, you know, in college, obviously, you know, was very great in college, but 
it was before kind of the you know Steph Curry everybody thinks about now. But yeah. you know, what was it like going up against Davidson and and him at the at that time? I mean, we we had before coach. I mean, before uh, uh, Steph got there, um, Davidson and UNC Greensboro already had a strong rivalry. You know, mm-hmm. Coach McCaffrey and Coach McKillop, um at the time, they, they didn't really like each other. So, <laughs> you know, there was already a strong rivalry um, from before. So during my freshman year, we had beaten them um, in the tournament. I think they had they were um, undefeated at the time and you know, they were looking to go to the tournament. Um, and we ended up beating them. We ended up shocking, you know, shocking the tournament and beating them. So from then, that's when the kind of the rivalry kind of continues to unfold. Um, and then, you know, um, you know, it was I felt like it was my time. Conference, um, and then all of a sudden, this five ten, and you know, one hundred sixty five, um, you know, kid comes from Charlotte that it, that uh, you know lit everybody up. So it was it was it was great. I mean, it was a great time because Davidson was a high level team. It was it was great to kind of you know play against them. You know, the, all the games that we played. I think we played a couple games on ESPN too. Um, so it was always looked at as kind of like a, you know a great rivalry. And then you know, even when I see Steph, you know, we haven't seen each other for a couple of years, but even you know the last time I seen him. Um, you know, just randomly that we always just talk about those moments. We talk about, you know, the Davidson, UNC Greensboro moments. We talk about, you know, different things. So it's like to see him and the things that he's accomplished in his career um, has been incredible. And I was, you know, I was there, you know, part of the jokingly, I always tell my friends I was there kind of at the beginning. And I was yeah. kind of, you know, our team was kind of the team that kind of, you know, helped push them to kind of get to, the, you know, that level. But um, yeah, it's been, it was, it was amazing. I think it's a rivalry that probably should, uh, probably should have been talked about a lot more and should have been featured a lot more, but um, it was great, you know, to be a part of that, you know, that, that whole Stephen Curry um, kind of era in the SoCon. Yeah. I still remember, I think it was uh, the 2007, eight season. So, you know, it was before they made their run in the tournament and they, they mm-hmm. opened up with UNC, I think in Charlotte and, you know, they, they pushed UNC to the limit with Curry just dominating. And, you know, I remember people didn't fully yeah. understand, you know, what he was about to do and what Davidson was about to become. Yeah, I mean, they were, uh, they were, I mean, even still today, I mean, they're, they're the things that they do to and what Coach McKillop has done as far as like implementing that system and, and staying consistent for always such amount of time has been, it's been incredible. I mean, they, they have a great program there. And like I said, and, and Steph is just a, you know, Steph is the prominent name, but he's just, you know, part of, you know, many of the great players we've had there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you wrap up your career, player of the year in the conference, uh, you go to Portsmouth, mm-hmm. uh, Portsmouth Invitational. You know, at that time, the G, you know, the D League at the time wasn't nearly as advanced as it was. Um, you know, yeah. what, what were you kind of thinking, you know, after you graduated about next steps? I'm sure there were probably some NBA workouts that, that went on. But, you know, what, what was your mindset after graduation in terms of, you know, the next step in your career? Um, it was NBA or bust at the time. That's all I was really thinking about. I was just thinking about, you know, how can I get to the NBA? How can I prove to get to the NBA? And um it was difficult because um, I'm only six three, six three and a half, maybe without shoes. So um, when I measured, you know, at the combine, and I was only six three, I was like, yeah, there's no way that, you know, I've been playing power forward and center my whole entire, you know, career. So I was like, there's no way that, you know, a team is at that time. Um, the landscape of the NBA was a lot different than it is now. You know, everything was very cookie cutter. It was like, if you are power forward, you gotta be six nine. If you're a center, you gotta be this. If you're a small forward, you gotta be this. So unless you're like a super exceptional, exceptional talent, um, you know, there there weren't many, you know, positionless guys. And that's what I was at the time. I'm kind of a positionless guy. So I think maybe two or three workouts that I, I did well in, 
Um, and I thought that I was, um, I thought I was probably going to get drafted by San Antonio because San Antonio had like that. They favored these kind of uh, undersized bigs. They had Malik Rose, yeah. um, Dewan, these type of players. Um, so I thought, you know, that would probably be an opportunity. Um, but um, it, it was actually the, the assistant general manager at the time, um, Wes Walker um, with the Cleveland Cavaliers who sat me down and told me that I should go overseas. He was like, listen, I think you, you'll have a, a opportunity to have huge success overseas. He kind of broke it down to me, like, listen, like, you know, there's guys that are making, you know, have, you know, very successful careers or making X amount of dollars. And for me, I didn't know, I didn't understand that. I didn't know anything about overseas basketball. So when he sat me down and at the, at the Vegas summer league actually, and broke it down to me um, and he introduced me to um, my first head coach, um, Andrea Tancredi, um, and, you know, from there, kind of the rest is history. After I kind of, you know, sat down with him and, and sat down with Coach Tranquility, um, you know, I, I decided that I, um, that, you know, even though I still had NBA, you know, aspirations and goals, but I decided that I was going to, you know, go overseas and try to make the best of my life and my career there. Well, you mentioned in terms of, you know, now really the positionless basketball um, and kind of the, the pigeonholes that the players were probably, you know, that were they were in, you know, up until a few years ago. How, how was it? overseas as well because you know i know obviously you had the stats and the rebounds and the blocks um, that would catch anybody's attention but you know was there difficulty trying to get teams to look past you know the just the the size you know even even if you had the explosiveness or the the length was it a challenge early on you know just with the size yeah because i mean i i initially signed in the second division italy Mm -hmm. um and you know we over, I mean, Coach and Katie, and there was a couple other teams that, you know, that started to kind of make this new trend of, you know, undersized centers or positionless basketball. So he was kind of, you know, one of the few. There were some other guys. Um, I remember a guy named Joe Bunn, who was like 6'2", 6'3", um, that was playing in second division Italy. And then, you know, prominently Mike Batiste, who was, you know, was a, a, a small forward in college. And eventually, you know, uh, Coach Bonnevers moved him to a center. So it was kind of like people, Mike Batiste's success um, there was starting to try to, you know, thread the needle of the game because Panthenagos was dominant. So other teams are like, well, if we're going to stop Mike Batiste and we got to sign a player like him or something <laughs> similar, you can kind of see it, how it was eventually coming, you know, coming over. So, but I remember, um, which is kind of funny now to even think about, but I remember um, there was an article when I signed to play in Italy um, in the Italian newspaper and they were like, can, a, can um, I measure about like, 196 they were like can a player at this size play at this play had a high level in the second division italy and there was all these like question marks and people asking can i play at this level um and i remember that and like i said like that was like i i'm a big person about challenges so i took that as a challenge and i I remember that article and almost like almost word for word to this day and that was kind of like my challenge i was like you know every game i'm going to go out and i'm gonna play and prove that you know it doesn't matter how tall i am you know i can still play at this game at a high level has that kind of been a constant theme, you know, going from from Italy, the second division, yeah. and then going up to uh, Germany, uh, Greece, et cetera? Has, has that always been kind of a, a question at each spot that you started at early on? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's been the it's been the question mark. Um, you know, it's always a big question mark. You know, it's like, oh, well, he's he's it's always been the butt. You know, I guess that's with scouts and with agents and always people say, you know, we always they always focus on the things that you don't have rather than things that you do have. Kind of the thing is like, well, he puts up good 
the numbers. He's uh, he does this, he does that, but he's only six three, six four, six five. He does this, but I don't know if he can play at a high level. So I think there was a lot of question marks, and um, like I said, especially because at the time, you know, everything was so you know, like I said, cookie cutter that it was like you know, a lot of people didn't think I can play at that level. So that's why it was like every level I went to, I kind of continuously kind of you know prove. Um, you know, prove that I can play like a lot of the coaches believes like, you know, like Chris Fleming, um, uh, Coach Ikovic, you know, Dusan Ikovic, they believe, but it was like always they had to convince the general manager, they had to convince the owner, they had to convince yeah. somebody like, okay, you know what, like, this is the reason why we're signing this guy. So, um, yeah, I'm just thankful and grateful I got the opportunity to even, you know, to even change people's minds and change people's perspectives. And now you look. Now, I mean, every team in every league, no matter where you play, there's a, you know, an undersized tweener or undersized center that, you know, that's that that somebody has. So, yeah. So you kind of, you know, I guess you can say started the trend and, and prove that it, it what, you know, but prove that it was it was, you know, mm-hmm. you shouldn't just focus on the size, you know, focus on mm-hmm. you know what, what they can do. And even yeah. you know, even when you jumped up to Germany, you know, you kind of took that league league by storm um, before heading over to Greece. What, you know, when you first got over just in general, what was it like kind of with the different cultures and different, you know, playing styles and, and different, you know, even the language, um, you know, how was that, how was that adjustment overall? I mean, it was, it was a big shock initially, um, you know, going to Italy, I went to a team where um, it's, it's, uh, it's in the mountains um, and there's literally, I think it's like 5,000 people that live there. It's like literally two, it's a two stoplight um type of town you know people you know um are still you know doing things like you know going to the watering hole to get water and those type of things so nobody spoke english so going there was like an initial shock but i'm thankful that i went there as my first stop in my career because that was probably the most difficult transition for me so it was like if that was the most difficult transition then everywhere else in my career is, is going to be better. You know, when I was in Italy, I was only, there was only one other American and we had a whole bunch of Italians. So it was like, you know, I had to be assimilated to the culture. I had to, you know, learn the language. I had to do these different things. So I think, you know, going to that, you know, I guess that, um, I guess that level of like such a dramatic situation helped me along my career and helped me kind of understand, you know, what I was going to was end up being the best situation for me to go there and, and you know having to be under playing under those conditions and I was like if I can be successful you know here then I can be successful anywhere yeah and I mean you quickly moved on to you know some of the larger larger cities and, and larger mm-hmm. teams uh you know when you got into to Greece you know I, I know that, you know along with Italy but they're known for kind of the crazy fans and and the games yeah. and <laughs> yeah. you know what what yeah. was the atmosphere and how did, did the you know the pressure change at all when you were you know, after you know playing in Germany into the Euroleague with some of these these top teams? Yeah, I mean the the the, the pressure definitely changed. Um, you know because you know the everything just got bigger. Everything everything got you know amplified. You know going to a team like Olympiacos or you know where you know it's only two teams in in the city and the the whole country is 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 pulling for one of these two teams. So you know just being a part of that and being part of you know you know, those type of pressures, um, you know, was definitely a lot different, but it was something I welcomed, you know, you know, if you want to play at that level, if you want to, you know, have that level of success and that type of pressures, those type of expectations come along with it. So um, it was something I accepted and it was something I, I wanted. And I think, you know, um, like I said, I think that's the it's something I always strive for, you know, to be able to play for that type of team. When that opportunity came, 
Um, like I already was prepared for it mentally and I already knew what it was going to be. Definitely. Um, you know, playing, you know, I think over in the U.S., people are starting, you know, the EuroLeague, especially when it comes to the semifinals mm-hmm. and finals, are starting to get more popularity. And, and you know, now with yeah. even more players going over. But, you know, kind of just, just describe the talent level and the competition of the EuroLeague and, and kind of, you know, your thoughts on it in general. I mean, the, the, the competition and the talent level is, is amazing. Um, you know, what, what separates the NBA and the EuroLeague is that there, I say there is no load management in EuroLeague. You know, every, every, every game counts. Every game counts no matter what, you know. Um, and I think that's the most exciting part um, of EuroLeague is that, you know, if you lose one or two games in a row, um, it can have a huge impact on your season. And we only play, I think, 34 games or something like that, 34, 34 regular season games. So, you know, every game, if you lose two or three in a row, you know, you can go from like second place all the way down to fourth, sixth, seventh place. And it's going to have a big effect on your season. And then we play the whole final four, um, you know, knockout scenario where it's a one game elimination. So, you know, I've been in teams and scenarios where we dominated the whole season day or had a bad game and lost and our season is over so i think from that standpoint i think that 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 because the 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 games matter more um i think that's why you see the competition level a lot higher and as far as talent wise i mean you can even see some of the players that have came you know from EuroLeague to to overseas you know like everybody says you know luca you know luca is kind of the prominent name right now you know um you know, from him to, you know, Boban, uh, Boban Bajanovic and, mm-hmm. um, you know, all these different type of players. I mean, there's been, you know, so many successful players that have, you know, come over um, from EuroLeague that are European, but it also, you know, Americans that are playing at a high level. I mean, there's a lot of players, you know, Americans and, and a lot of high-level European players that are super talented that you know, can play in the NBA or can, you know, have, you know, um, a starting role in the NBA. But like I said, they're, they're over in Europe and they're, they're dominating and they're, um, you know, having, making uh, great careers for themselves. Yeah. And I mean, you know, playing in that league, you've been, you know, defensive player of the year, racked up the awards mm-hmm. for championships. You know, if you had to choose one team, what, what, what team do you think was the most talented one that, that you've been on? Oh, oh man. Um, I would say it's difficult to really say. Um, I would say the team that that had the most uh, the most unrealized talent was probably the the 2011 2012 team with the Olympiacos. Mm-hmm. Um, because coming from that, you know, we end up we had a team we had a it was a bunch of us playing, but it was a we had a young team, um, and you know, a lot of guys didn't necessarily realize their potential except for Vasilis Manoulis, who was like you know one of the you know the greatest player probably playing in Euroleague right now. But you had guys like AC Law who. You know who was you know a dominant player Joey Dorsey who was a dominant player. Then we had guys that um you know eventually Nikolau that was in the NBA for a short amount of time. Paro Antich that was in the NBA for yeah. a short amount of time. Um you know uh, Josh Powell who was you know back to back you know your uh, champion with the LA Lakers. Um and then you had guys like Costa Salukas who now is like a first team all Euro League player. Um, who at the time was like a backup. So it was like you had all these kind of like players that were kind of unheralded um, that had yet to reach their potential, but yet, you know, we're starting to kind of, you know, you know, starting to kind of, you know, reach, you know, reach what they can possibly be. So I think, you know, looking back on it now, I think that was definitely, um, you know, one of the most, or one of the, I think to me, the most talented team. Okay. Well, speaking of talent, um, I'll kind of, you know, see what first comes to mind, but in terms of your most talented 
talented American that you've played against overseas? Is there anybody that comes to mind right off the bat? Uh, that I played against? Um, or even played like Mike with. James. Mike James? Mike James. Yeah, I think Mike James. I mean, he is the he's the type of player that can do anything and everything on the court. I mean, hopefully he's not hopefully he's not watching this, so he's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna use this against me. But um, just just uh, you know, him his offensive capability, his athletic capability, like he he's his range on his shot, his ability to get anywhere, his ability to create. Um, I mean, he can do it all. So I think for me. You know, seeing him and playing with him last year and even playing against him, realizing how talented he is and, you know, the things that he can contribute to a basketball game. Yeah, I mean, even when he was on his two-day contract in the NBA, when he did get his, you know, chances in the league, he he played yeah. played very well when, when he was on the court. Yeah, man, I think he can he can, he can can play, um, you know, for an NBA team, definitely. I mean, he's definitely an NBA caliber player, definitely an NBA starter caliber type of player. So what about um, in terms of, like, uh, in terms of European, and I'm going to say, I'm going to say no Luka Doncic in terms of uh, yeah. who is the most talented guy that, or maybe even toughest um, guy that you played against. I would go two. Um, the most talented, like physical gifted talent um, is Milos Teodosic. Just physical gifted talent. Like I never seen the, I mean, he works hard, but I've never seen a guy lift the weight. <laughs> I've never seen the guy, you know, put up extra shots. I've never seen him like, He's the type of guy that can just roll out of bed and get 35 points, 15 assists, and 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 dominate the game. Um, as far as talent, like this talent, like this physical gifted talent, say Spinola, because I had an opportunity to watch him play um, and see how, how hard he works. Like he's by far like the hardest working player I've ever seen in my life. Um, and then Nando DiColo, I think Nando DiColo, um, his his offensive ability, his gifts, the things that he can do. Um, I think he is to me, like, I think to me, he's the best player, um, European player playing in the game right now, just because all, all the things he's able to do, um, his, his abilities, I think is next to none. Okay. Definitely some good, good names on, on that list. And, yeah. you know, going, going to back to Moscow, where once again, you've been since 2013, um, you know, I know when you probably got there, obviously to be being more of a veteran statesman at the end, you know, what, what was just that experience I guess trying to condense it, but you know your time there and and how your role might have changed, but also how you probably grew within the organization. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, I I never would have thought I'd have been in Moscow for seven years. You know, when I first got there, um, I never would have anticipated you know Russia being my home, um, but that's what it, it it came. It became the home for you know for me and my family. Um, you know, it's a place that you know forever be near and dear to my heart. Um, it, it was the place where you know I, I when I six years old and you know I was um not mature you know I wasn't necessarily a leader um and then I kind of grew into a veteran leader into a captain um and it, it's helped me so much um you know being involved in that organization and meeting the people there um and the responsibilities that they gave me they forced me to kind of become uncomfortable um you know in a lot of situations that kind of helped push me um to become a better player and a better person so um you know, Moscow is, is will forever be, um, you know, a second home to me, no matter, you know, where I'm at or where, you know, where I'm playing at my career, um, because it's, you know, it's done so much, you know, not only for me, but also for my family um, as well. And I know you said there is obviously unfinished business this year, but just going back, you know, when you last won the championship, you know, what, what was just kind of the feeling? Obviously, it was your fourth one, but, you know, 
you, you go through all that hard work and, and kind of how are you feeling after after that accomplishment? I mean, it was it's, you know, after you after you win a title, you win a championship, you're always trying to chase that high, you know, again. So that's the reason why, you know, you continuously, you know, trying to get to that point. So, um, you know, we had won it in 2016 um, you know, um, and we felt like we should have won it um, in 2018, but because of injuries and stuff like that. So 2018, um, 2019, I'm sorry. Yeah, 2019, I'm sorry, was, a, was almost a redemption year for us um, to be able to, you know, come back. And we had gone through struggles during the season um, and to win that title. And then for me as a captain, that was my first time being a captain of the team to be able to lift that title and lift that championship um, was extra special. And then it made it even more special because my kids were a part of it. You know, my kids were, you know, there and I was able to, you know, I always dreamed of, you know, being on the podium, you know, all the guys have their kids up there and all that. So I always wanted that, and, you know, and my kids were, uh, you know, weren't born yet when we had one in 2016. So to be able to have that experience with them at, in, in 2019 and to have those pictures and to have those memories and to be the captain of the team. I mean, it was, it was, it was incredible. And I think that it only, not only because it was my fourth title and I think it was my second title with Cheska, I think it helped solidify that, that, that group at Cheska that we had. Cause you know, we won in 2016, but it's like, it's okay. People are like, Oh, you won one. But then to come back to win two as a group, like it kind of solidified and kind of cemented, I think, our place in our legacy in EuroLeague history. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I just kind of asked you about the toughest, uh, you know, opponents you, you've gone through. But curious also in terms of, you know, either the toughest place you've played or, or kind of your favorite place that you've played. Uh, both. The toughest, the toughest place uh, I will say is uh, Oka, um, Pantanegos um, Arena. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just cause I played there so many times. Um, and then, you know, when that place gets loud, it's like almost like 21, 22,000 people, you know, and that's where they've loud, got man. like the, you know, things firing off. And... Yeah. The, the flares, the fire, the, all that different type of stuff in the crowd, the chants, the drums, all these different types of stuff. I mean, it's, it's in, it's incredible. Um, and just be, and then also cause I played for Olympiaco, so I played with the rival team. So I kind of experienced it from from that side. So the the most difficult place. Um, The place I look forward to going the most um, is uh, I would say I would say uh, Fenerbahce and Zalgiris. Fenerbahce has you know a really nice arena, NBA style arena, um, but their fans are incredible. They have another atmosphere, and the same with Zalgiris. They have an NBA really NBA style arena. Um, but their fans are like very knowledgeable and it's always a great time and great atmosphere. So I enjoy playing there. Okay. And um, what about favorite food uh, in, in any of the countries you've been to? Oh, man. Um, uh, I mean, now I'm in Milan, so I'm going to say Italian food. Um, I'm a big fan of Italian food and, and pasta. And um, so, yeah, I would definitely say right now Italian, Italian. I mean, there's this, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to the most, you know, that's why I got to, Got to work out a little bit, a little bit harder because I mean, put on those, uh, those pasta carbs. <laughs> so. uh, sounds good. So you know, obviously on the court, uh, very accomplished, and I'm probably not going to be able to name everything off the court. But curious, you know, you've been very, very active. For, you know, you mentioned being on, thank you. You know, kind of the Euro League, um, you know, committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been, you know, doing kind of a me- creating a little media empire of, of podcasts and the Euro League mm-hmm. rookie videos, which I really enjoyed watching. Um, 
you know, I know also recently in terms of painting, you know, I think painting a court back, you know, back home, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. talk to me just a little bit of, you know, maybe just on, on the video and, and media side, you know, what, what some of your interests are and, and what you've been doing outside of the basketball court. Yeah. So we, uh, we, I've always been intrigued by, um, you know, storytelling, um, and, you know, trying to, you know, tell and trying to, you know, portray, um, people's stories, um, especially, um, overseas basketball players. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of times, you know, um, a lot of people, especially fans back home, you know, sometimes they put overseas basketball players only this category. It's almost like when you go over there, you're almost exiled from everybody. It's like, you know, oh, he plays overseas and you don't even hear from him again. So what I wanted to do and what me and my, um, what me and my, uh, my partner wanted to do is that we wanted to kind of have an opportunity to kind of give guys, um, overseas an opportunity to tell their stories, tell their journeys, um, and showcase their lifestyles. Cause we were like, you know, there's only a small full of handful of guys that are going to get the opportunity to play in the NBA. It's, I think 450 players, but you know, outside of the NBA, there's playing in China or Asia or Australia or in Europe. Um, or South America. So we wanted to have opportunity to kind of, you know, showcase those, um, you know, showcase those experiences, um, you know, that guys have over there. So we've been able to do that, you know, first through my docuseries, um, Just a Kid from Sickleville, the EuroLeague Rooks, um, you know, volume one and volume two, um, you know, and then also with the podcast that we recently been doing, um, you know, we created the podcast to kind of give um, EuroLeague guys that have had successful careers, you know, whether or not it's, uh, you know, J.R. Holden or um, um, we just recently did uh, Sonny Weems and, you know, uh, you know, all these different type of guys, um, Jeremy Pargo, um, you know, all these different type of guys who've had tremendous success, you know, overseas um, and have opportunity to tell their stories, you know, showcase their stories because um, over here in Europe, it's a lot different than it is in the States. You know, you don't have these platforms available to tell your story and tell your side. So we wanted to give guys the opportunity to tell their stories. And then also tons of questions from first year guys or second year guys about, you know, what is overseas basketball like? You know, what is this like? What is that like? So we're like, you know, if, if guys are able to you know, starting out their careers, if they're able to, you know, listen to this podcast and able to kind of learn from the, the mistakes or, you know, from the successes that these guys have had and been able to kind of implement them in those career in their careers, then we feel like it can, it can possibly help benefit them. So that's kind of the grand scheme things of why we did the, the media company and what we're trying to accomplish with that. Was it, was it challenging when you guys were doing the, uh, the yearly rookies um, in terms of, you know, coordinating all the, the film and, and getting the film guys and the team buy off and, yeah. the, you know, how, how challenging was that? perspective yeah i mean it, it was definitely challenging because you you have uh you know first of all a lot of guys aren't comfortable being on camera and a lot of guys aren't comfortable you know kind of you know exposing i shouldn't say exposing but kind of showing their private lives and showing the behind the scenes type of things so um it was definitely uh a little bit difficult in that standpoint and then also because um it's kind of a first you know a lot of teams you know were like you want to do what you want access to what why do you want access to us and they were always kind of like defensive and kind of guarding we're like no we're just trying to just show this we just want to show this and a lot of you know coaches were like you know you can't film practice you can't film this so you know once we kind of you know they actually seen the finished product they were like oh this is cool so um great relationships with all the teams and great relationships with EuroLeague and IMG that have kind of, you know, hopefully, you know, this year we want to kind of expand, um, you know, expand and kind of do even more with the EuroLeague Rooks and also with a couple other different projects as well. 
And if I remember correctly, I think uh, Seth Leday, when he was in Greece, was was featured, and now uh, now yeah. you know, a teammate um, of yours. Yeah, yeah. That's got to be yeah. interesting. Yeah, and, and, and that's kind of how we – and it's kind of been cool because it's kind of been allowing me to kind of establish a relationships with a lot of these guys. So, you know, by building relationships through that – it's allowed me to kind of, you know, have opportunity to talk to to talk to uh, to Zach and, um, you know, talk to other guys. And then also through this TBT thing that we've been doing, like yeah. the, because we've been meeting so many guys who this, we're like, hey, you know, it, it allowed us to kind of, you know, like, hey, do you want to play TBT with us? Do you want to do this different type? So, so it allowed us kind of build a relationship and really the connection with all these guys. So it's been, from that standpoint, it's been cool to kind of learn about guys' stories and learn about guys' journeys that I didn't even know. Yeah, that was one thing I didn't mention. I know you had a team this year, but have been involved in the TBT in the past. Um, yeah. how, how, how's that been for you in terms of involvement and just enjoyment? I mean, it's been great because, I mean, the TBT is a league and a, um, uh, they have a kind um, of form you know, that I, I wanted to be a part of. Um, you know, I think they're what they're trying to do and what they have been accomplishing, um, you know, is great. So, you know, we wanted to put a team um, that feature, you know, some of the top guys um, overseas and also to kind of give some of the top guys like a Nick Calathis or, you know, a Mike James or like a Brian Dunstan or, or a Matt Lejeski or, you know, some of these guys, Brandon Paul and Ethan Happ this year, you know, an opportunity to play in front of their home, play at home and play on ESPN again. Because like I said, a lot of times, you know, these guys go over, we go over and people forget, you know, they're like, oh, we haven't seen, you know, Brandon Paul play. We haven't seen Ethan Hat play, whatever happened to them. So it gives them an opportunity to come back and play again at home, you know, on front of a, of a big stage on ESPN2. And like I said, and I also just think the TBT is just an awesome, um, you know, awesome tournament, an awesome format. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely exciting, especially with kind of some of the different, you know, different rules that they, they have yeah. and also, you know, the popularity that it's picked up, you know, especially mm-hmm. lately and this year without really any other sports going on. Um, yeah. But um, in terms of just saying on this, I know you have, you know, hopefully at least a few more years, years left playing. Um, but, oh. <laughs> you, know, you know, is this is this something you kind of see you pursuing afterwards in terms of kind of the, the media side or um have you kind of given any thought to, you know, things you'll be interested in afterwards? Um, I definitely want to be involved in basketball. I still want to stay involved in basketball. So I'm trying to, um, I guess you can say plant seeds, I guess you can say, um, to kind of figure out exactly what I want to do. Like I said, I'm, I'm the type of person, like I, I, I do stuff. I, I learn by actually doing stuff and actually having the experience. So it was like, you know, rather than me actually, you know, you know, trying to ask questions or trying to ask, you know, media people about it. I was like, well, I'm just going to become a media person myself and see, you know, see if I can, you know, really, if I like it, if I enjoy doing it. So, so far I've loved it. I love the opportunity to, you know, tell stories and meet guys and, you know, um, you know, go through all this whole different process. So, yeah, I mean, it'd be something I definitely would be open to. Um, like you said, um, God willing, I have, you know, a few more, you know, a few more, a few more years left in me. Um, but when it, when it does stop, you know, I, my whole goal was like, I want to, you know, try to, um, you know, increase, um, and try to, you know, help the, the game of basketball grow, um, especially overseas basketball. Cause I know how much it's, you know, it's done for me and my family and, and my friends. So it's like, any way I can give back to the game, um, that way, um, I want to do that. So, you know, if, if something falls along with that mission, then yeah, I'm definitely going to be involved and do that. Okay. And then, you know, really as, as we wrap this up. You know, I'd mentioned the the court that I recently saw painted, but, um, you know, tell me a little bit about that and, and kind of what, you know, the, the goal for, for what you were doing back home. Yeah, so, I mean, the the 
the the whole thing with the court was that you know we um you know it, it's in my hometown um you know the long kind of a long story short um it's in a park where um where my dad used to you know make us run hills and run sprints at 5 30 in the morning when we were like you know 9 10 11 years old so to kind of you know come back and able to kind of put a court there um, you know, for other kids to be able to, you know, to, you know, try to accomplish, you know, those things and try to accomplish their athletic goals, um, you know, is, uh, is, is incredible full circle moment. But um, the area where I lived at, they didn't have a court. They didn't have a nice basketball court for a kid. So, um, you know, every time I went back in the summer, you know, kids were complaining, parents were complaining. They were like, you know, we don't have a court. We don't have a nice court. And, you know, for me growing up, um, and I'm sure that, you know, the same with you, you know, when you're growing up, you know, you want that place that's kind of an outlet, you know, other than home, you know, you and your friends, you know, me and my friends, you would go like, hey, we're going to the court and we would just spend hours and hours at the court. That was kind of like our home. And, you know, I figured, you know, you know, this is what kids need. It's what the youth needs in my community. And if they're not, if they don't have a place to go to, then usually that's when they find the stuff that they're not supposed to find, whether or not it's no crime, you know, this, stuff, this type of stuff. So me and my brother, my organization, we wanted to put a court there. We worked with my hometown community to put it there in the park. Um, and then we also wanted to make it unique. Um, we kind of wanted to make it where it was like more of like a landmark in the community where people would go to, people would be excited about, um, kids would be excited about going to. Um, so that's why we decided to make a, make it. So it was like, you know, people will come in the area. It's something that the community would be proud of because usually when the community is proud of it, that's when they take care of it. That's when people put pride into it. So, so that's kind of the whole thought process. And I mean, it's, it's been a great you know, a great accomplishment. It's been, you know, something special. And every time I'm on Instagram and somebody tags me a picture, somebody is working, you know, working out or doing certain things. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's incredible. I think it's, you know, for me, the by far the biggest accomplishment that, you know, my career and something that we want to not only, you know, do what we're doing now, but hopefully do, um, you know, globally in some other places as well. Yeah. I mean, definitely commendable. And I'm sure just kind of tying that back to your childhood makes it, you know, all the yeah, more meaningful. Thank you. Um, yeah, but, definitely. Yeah. Last question for you. Um, you know, I know you've been able to pronounce a lot of these European names very easily. Um, you know, <laughs> what what languages, if any, have you kind of picked up or, or how's it been from a language perspective? Um, so I used to be able to speak Italian almost fluently. Okay. Um, when I first started my career, like I said, it was kind of, it was kind of um Force because the only way for me to survive, um, you know, if I don't want to order, you know, be able to order something or, you know, go to a restaurant or be able to get directions or um, go to the grocery store, um, I had to learn. So I kind of picked it up by ear. Um, and at the time, for a, a, a large amount of time, I was the only American on the team. So, you know, I had to learn the basketball technology terminology, you know, in Italian. So, um, but uh, fortunately, or unfortunately, I mean, I've, once I left there, I went to Germany. Um, I understand some German, um, but I was in a city where there was an army base and, you know, everybody spoke English. So um, and then in Greece, for the most part, everybody speaks English. Um, and because of the because of the Olympics that were there in 2004, all the signs and everything are in English. So it wasn't that difficult process. And then Russian, I was there for seven years and Russian is probably I don't know if you if you've seen Russian. It's one of the hardest languages to probably learn and probably pick up because it is Cyrillic alphabet. But I was able to kind of pick up and and understand um, the basics, the fundamentals, and I actually understand more than I actually think. Um, funny story is my daughter went to a Russian school, so she understands it um, oh, wow. for the most part. 
um she watches like youtube videos and stuff in russian and all the other stuff so so i mean it's it's been something that um that's probably to me is the best part you know about playing overseas you know get an opportunity to learn languages and learn cultures um i say this all the time and if you, like I, i'm fortunate enough and blessed enough that you know i get a chance to live in places where people save up their whole entire lives to travel to for a week or for a weekend you know, I lived in you know, Rome, I lived in Moscow, I'm living in Milan now. So, you know, for me, it's like, you know, while I'm here, I'm going to try to take the most of it and try to enjoy the culture. And that's, this is one of the, the, the best parts about living and playing overseas. Yeah, definitely. And I know you've been to some, some good spots, uh, especially now, you know, kind of in, <laughs> in, in Milan. So uh, definitely jealous of that. Yeah. But, you know, just wanted to thank you for, for coming on and, and appreciate your time. Thank I know you. we've been, uh, you know, I've been looking forward to having, having you on and, you know, it was Definitely. exciting, you know, Definitely. just to chat, um, you know, not, not only about all the basketball accomplishments, but everything off the court as well. So, you know, best of luck in the remainder of the quarantine, um, but also you so as much. you get ready for another EuroLeague season. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, um, you know, pleasure talking to you. And then, like I said, anytime, anytime, anytime you need another guest or anytime you want to talk hoops or talk anything, I'm, I'm always open to talk. All right. Well, I definitely appreciate it, Kyle. Thank you very much.